Good Sunday evening to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners. I'm sure for many of you, you all were wondering, where have I been for the last couple of days? Well, I haven't been missing. I'm, I've been uh, visible. However, um, I've had other things that have come up. But the good news is that I'm back on the air. And tonight is going to be our final episode on the series that we've been talking about regarding Michael Schumacher's book, Mighty Fitz, The Sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Hard to believe that uh, we've been on this book for about four weeks, but it's been a unique um, ride uh, for this uh, particular book because we have learned about a ship's rise to glory, we've learned about a ship's uh, rise to fame, I mean, same thing as glory, but we've also learned about how a ship who um, made so many uh, trips up and down the Great Lakes sadly met a very tragic death, a death that um, that all um, crewmen know um, is always inevitable, especially come the time of November being the cruelest month on the Great Lakes, or what Gordon Lightfoot referred to in his um, song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, The Gales of November, when they come early in November. But I've really enjoyed uh, sharing this uh, particular um, novel with the audience, uh, with you all the audience, I should say, uh, because most of us, you know, we all know about shipwrecks, but usually when we think about shipwrecks, we tend to think of the more famous ones like Titanic and Lusitania. We often forget um, about the shipwrecks on the Great Lakes. That's not to say that they're not important. They are. But usually when we think of shipwrecks, we tend to think of the ones that have occurred on most notably the Atlantic Ocean being, like I said earlier, um, the Lusitania and the Titanic. So, given that this is going to be our final um, episode for uh, the podcast series on the Edmund Fitzgerald, what what else could we talk about that is of, of relevant importance? Well, in the last podcast, we talked about how, in 1995, how um, Tom Farnquist and and a group of uh, other, um, along with Bruce Fuaco, along with a group of um, other uh, explorers, went down and were able to retrieve uh, the Fitzgerald's Bell. Now, in 1999, which I find hard to believe was just 21 years ago, what's significant about July 17th of 1999, um, there was a a 290-foot Coast Guard cutter referred to as the Mackinac. On this date, the ship itself was stationed above the site of the Fitzgerald wreckage, and it had the honor of doing something that was an absolute first on on Great Lake waters. Well, what's the answer? It had, this ship, the um, Mackinac, was paying a tribute to the wreckage of a commercial freighter, in this case, the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's not just so much paying tribute to the wreckage of a freighter, but it's going to become officially consecrated as an actual grave site. So the Mackinac is transporting friends and families of the 29 men whom perished. The Mackinac itself is also functioning as a makeshift church. 
and on the Mackinac there stood Canadian and American flags near the stern railing. So what really is the primary service, or should I say the function of service on the Mackinac? It, that is the closing of a circle, as well as proclaiming the wreckage site as a formal grave site once and for all. So basically the closing of a circle could mean the closing of a chapter. A chapter that has um, brought hardship to many of the uh, families who lost loved ones. But at the same time, it will um, also bring a sense of um, necessary closure. Of course, at the same time, not all the answers were have been resolved. In other words, we've never really been able to find out what really caused the ship to sink. But knowing that the, all these years later, close to 25 years later, we're actually going to now officially declare the wreckage of the Edmund Fitzgerald where she sank as an official grave site. And I do believe that the 29 men who perished below have agree, know deep down in their hearts that, that they are finally getting the um, true recognition that perhaps they deserve. Not that they didn't get any recognition when the Fitzgerald was officially declared uh, lost, but now these 25 men, 29 men now know that where they lay at the bottom of Superior, not just where the whatever bodies, if any bodies are still there, in terms of where they're laying in existence, but the ship, even though the ship is broken in two, the bottom line is the ship will be um, eulogized to where she will forever remain in peace without any further explorations to the bottom of her um, to the bottom of her gravesite. Were the crew people, here's a bonus question for you all, were the crew people in attendance at gravesite service in the search for, um, oh, let me re rephrase it, were there crew people in attendance at gravesite service who assisted in the search for locating uh, the Fitzgerald the night she went out of sight? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, two men in particular, uh, Captain Don Erickson of the, Wil of the William Clay Ford and Captain Jimmy Hobaugh, who was responsible for providing the Coast Guard cutter Woodrush that assisted in the search and rescue mission. Both men were deeply connected to the Fitzgerald in the wake of trying to locate her whereabouts. I do believe it's safe to say that even if you were not a member or, or, or a crew member to the Fitzgerald, it is fair to say that people in general on the Great Lakes, if, regardless of the ship you served under, it's, it's very likely that everybody knew each other. In other words, yes, you could have been on the Fitzgerald. John Smith could have been on the um, Arthur Anderson. Uh, Tom Jones could have been on... Um, the William Clay Ford. The bottom line is everybody was bound to a boat. 
Um, of course, it, it wasn't just, oh, I'm assigning you to a boat. You had to work your way up the ladder, and obviously you probably applied for a position that was available on one of these ships. But the bottom line is, is that everybody somehow knew one another regardless of the ship they were on, and they all had a common uh, theme. And that common theme was to um, to be a part of something that was um, not just a way of life, but a way of life on the Great Lakes that generations before you knew, and now you're expected to fulfill the legacy of those before you. And I could see how for Captain Don Erickson and William, who was the captain of the William Clay Ford and Jimmy Hobal for providing the Coast Guard with the wood rush, uh, I could see how for these men it was a very... Uh, it was something that they never got over, knowing that the Fitzgerald was gone forever. And they probably knew um, a lot of those men who who perished. If they didn't know everybody, they probably could have known at least between five and ten men. Another bonus question I'll throw out to you all is this. In the years after Fit the Fitzgerald's sinking, had many of the family members gotten to know one another very well? Uh, the answer is yes. Many of these family members often would discuss the best ways to preserve or honor their loved one's memories as well as uh, the integrity of the Fitzgerald where all 29 men who perished lay interred, meaning below uh, Lake Superior's surface. They also gathered at the, Marine, at the Mariner's Church, which was the first church to... Um, conduct official services in the aftermath of the ship's sinking. That's also the church where uh, Father Ingalls, who was the head minister of, uh, rang the church bell 29 times um, a couple days after November 10th of 1975, honoring all 29 men who perished um, on the Fitzgerald. And of course, uh, at the Mariner's Church, it probably still is this way even today. Every November 10th, there are gatherings still to honor um, those 29 men, even as, you know, November's two months away, but why not still remember those 29 men uh, 45 years later? After all, they still have families, you know, wives, daughters, sons, you know, grandchildren that probably did not really get to know um, a grandfather or a great uncle or let alone an uncle very well. So the bottom line is, is that while, yes, there for these um, families, there was a lot of grieving and unanswered questions, but with time, getting to know one another um, was a very important thing because for these family members, they can share what their loved ones loved most about being on the Great Lake waters. They uh, can relate to the communities that they have grown up in that are surrounded by uh, Great Lakes waters and how um, the communities themselves are dependent upon one another to get through circumstances like this. What relics uh, did families bring aboard the Mackinac to share with extended family and others? Well, um, for starters, um, when I think of relics, I think of, you know, past items, 
but relics can mean uh, can come from in a variety of, in, of different interpretations. Uh, for starters, there were various articles about the Fitzgerald in her heyday. Also, this also included uh, postcards and letters written by the men who served on the ship. All of these uh, relics were to serve as an educational purpose to teach the younger generation why the Fitzgerald's legacy must not be forgotten. Yes, it's one thing to verbally tell someone about what, hap- what went on during the Fitzgerald's prime, but to show pictures, postcards, and letters written by men who had served on the Fitzgerald prior to, say, 1975, that should serve as a sign that, hey, let's not forget those who served aboard this ship because they, um, they were always out there making sacrifices. They were out there not just... Um, this, uh, these uh, boat uh, rides were not... Um, they weren't vacations. They were work. They were, you know, the Fitzgerald was going from numerous point A to point B spots around Lake Superior. She was traveling, you know, as far south as, uh, say, Lake Erie into Toledo, Ohio, where she got the name the Toledo Express, as well as into Detroit, Michigan. She made her way all around the Great Lakes, and her men were willing to make the sacrifice to go the, the whole distance. You know, think about it. Uh, I, I often wonder now just how many more voyages the Fitzgerald would have made if she had not gone out of sight on the night of November 10th, 1975. I truly do believe she probably would have lasted another 10 years. That's wishful thinking, but I do believe she would have had more years in her. The fact that she had 17 years and did somewhere close to 450 voyages, that's remarkable. That's almost 44 voyages in a season alone. Uh, you consider just how fortunate she was. Yes, she did have a few mishaps before before November 10th, 1975, but she still was able to uh, make voyages out on the waters. Yes, there were people who thought she was unsinkable. Of course, they said that about Titanic, as I've said before in previous podcasts. You know, the Titanic had been warned repeatedly not to get off track here, but I'll just say this. The Titanic had been warned repeatedly about the dangers that lied ahead. I look at the at, at Captain Ernest McSorley of the Fitzgerald. He knew, um, he all, I mean, he, like any other captain, would, would have known that when you're entering the month of November, that it, that it is the cruelest month because you don't know what to expect and anything can change at a moment's notice for in large part because nothing is certain. But when Ernest McSorley um, was taking on water and when he lost the antennas, he reached out for help. He didn't panic, but when he told Captain Bernie Cooper, the Arthur M. Anderson, his last, his last message to, our, to Bernie Cooper was, we're holding our own ground. In other words, yes, we have, we have withered damage. Yes, we have taken some hits, but we're still in this. 
they were in it up until about 17 miles from Whitefish Point. That wasn't the final destination. The ultimate destination was Detroit. But the fact that she only had she only had 17 miles to go, she was going to need at least another 90 minutes, but sadly Mother Nature was only going to give her about 15 to 30 minutes. But the bottom line is, is that the Fitzgerald did not play with fire in the same way, did not come close to playing with fire like the Titanic had. Of course, yes, there will always be those people out there who will say, well, why are you going out there in November? Why are you playing with fire like that? Remember, people, there are risks in life. There are risks that are good. There are risks that are bad. The Fitzgerald had gone out on the waters of the Great Lakes in November countless times up until uh, the night she went out of sight. She had luck all those other times. Unfortunately, she ran into a bad situation where luck was not on her side. Okay, does this mean that God himself didn't want these 29 men to, to have the same success as they had before? Absolutely not. God was with them. It just so happens that Mother Nature got the better hand to where um, no matter what Captain McSorley was able to do to modify the situation on his end, Mother Nature was going to prevail. But at the same time, God himself was still going to find a way to look after those 29 men. And I'll get to that part here in a moment. But yes, it is very important that younger generations learn about the Fitzgerald's legacy, not just for those young people who live on the Great Lakes, but anywhere. Because Great Lakes ships, all of them, have had stories to tell. Those who have lived to, to tell the tales of, um, of the unbelievable in terms of weather, and those who didn't survive, whose stories were told by other men who did survive. In other words, the gales of November could either bring 50% survival, survival or 50% um, death. However, for those who survive, they live to tell the story. Despite uh, many families being close to one another, it's fair to say that there will always be questions never resolved, especially knowing for sure what truly caused the Fitzgerald to sink and vanish forever. You know, after having read this book a few years ago and then rereading um, numerous segments which covered um, all of my podcast sessions, you know, I can believe a lot of theories, but if you ask me, um, what do you think could have caused the Fitzgerald to ultimately sink? I do believe it's very possible that she did hit a shoal around the Six Fathom Shoal area. And I do believe that once she hit the shoal, that she, that the captain, he probably didn't realize just how severe um, the hit was to the shoal because the ship itself would then take on water from underneath which would cause which would have caused her to list meaning it would have caused her to lean to one side heavily to where she could not um, 
get herself back in proper um, alignment. And as a result of the listing, then it's fair to say that with all those rough seas that she was encountering, because, you know, when a ship lists, it doesn't automatically mean that the seas are still calm or the water itself is calm. In this case, given just how rough the waves were coming at the minimum 15 feet high to rogue waves that were probably anywhere from 30 to 35 feet high, the rogue waves that were to that 30-foot um, threshold were probably what was were the straws that broke the camel's back for the Fitzgerald. Those waves were, were the ones that took out the hatch covers that protected the cargo below. And once the hatch covers were taken out by the force of the waves, um, once the cargo floods, then the ship starts to break. Its middle sections begin to break. Uh, the bottom line is these waves were so forceful along with the wind gusts, all the right ingredients had to have churned up to where um, it was a deadly one-two punch that whatever came about, the chances of survival, you've, you would have only had minutes to be prepared for any potential chance of survival, but had everybody, had everyone put on their life jackets, they still would have been tossed overboard and to the point where survival would have become even more um, dim. But all of this is just my theory. There are a lot of other different theories out there that we have shared. I do believe it's possible that the door, that the pilot house door could have been opened. But even if it was opened right away, time, unfortunately, was still not on the side to the crew. So the bottom line is this, I do believe that the ship did hit a shoal, and, and it did list, and, and like I said a moment ago, the rogue waves that came along took out the hatch covers and basically flooded the um, cargo hold to the point where the taconite pellets could no longer absorb all the water, and, um, and then the rogue waves come along and um, start... Um, breaking the ship apart, but I do believe that once the ship started breaking apart that her uh, bow was the first to go down, and it went down obviously at a very, very fast pace. The stern probably would have remained afloat for a few minutes longer, but then another wave would have come along and had to have taken the stern down so hard that she uh, flipped and went down very fast to the bottom and the stern itself remains upside down. But as the ship sank, I do believe that the middle section, of course the middle, there is no middle section, it was destroyed in, in a matter of minutes because of all the um, sheer force of the um, waves and the, and the winds. I mean, it, waves alone cannot do all the damage. They can do a lot, but if you have 90-mile-an-hour gusts, Oh, the, the gusts alone can, um, can do all kinds of damage. So think of wind gusts of that point of like 90 miles an hour um, pulling apart, you know, tree, uh, what do you call it, tree stumps or pulling apart a road sign. Um, think of like, you know, 100 mile an hour gusts like with a hurricane or let alone a tornado. 
So basically what the Fitzgerald had encountered, it was like a, 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 a natural disaster, except this is a natural disaster at sea. Here's another bonus question um, to think about. How many hours did it take for the Mackinac to arrive at the Fitzgerald wreckage site? It took more than five hours. The ship had 133 civilians on board. The day's event allowed for all participants to come before the podium and honor the 29 men who perished. Father Ingalls, whom I mentioned earlier, he was the one he, he was the first minister to ring the bell 29 times honoring all 29 men who lost their lives aboard the Fitzgerald. But Father Ingalls conducted the official ceremony. He mentioned to the families that while 29 men weren't spared the personal violence they encountered on November 10th of 1975, but somehow, but for some miraculous um, cause, these 29 men managed to find peace elsewhere by finding solitude at the bottom of Lake Superior. In other words, while they may have lost the, the fight to have survived on the night of November 10th of 1975 on the, on the uh, surface of Lake Superior, perhaps uh, their um, fight with Mother Nature was one that didn't last very long. Maybe that was a blessing. But when, but when the ship did go out of sight and and went to the bottom, that is 530 feet below Lake Superior's surface, as agonizing a death as that could have been, at least it, it, it was quick, they weren't suffering, but it is fair to say that all 29 of those men, they did die for something. I mean, they didn't leave anything on the table they, many of these men were seasoned veterans of the lakes. You had some who were rookies who were going to make a name for themselves. But the bottom line is all 29 men died together. They died knowing that they were always putting their lives on the line so that, um, so that people on the other end, being the receivers, would have a chance to still operate their businesses knowing that natural resources coming from the freighters would benefit their cause, not just short-term, but long-term. Now, uh, let me ask you all this. What is a, necro what is a necrologist? That's N-E-C-R-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. A necrologist is an author of an obituary notice or notices. The necrologist, in this case, went about reading the names of the 29 men. One by one, a family member or a proxy, someone else representing the family member, approached the Fitzgerald replica bell and gave the rope a tug. In other words, by giving the rope a tug, they were ringing the Fitzgerald replica bell, honoring not just their loved one, but all the other men who uh, perished on that day.
After the bell ringing ceremony was finished, each participant dropped a carnation onto Lake Superior's surface, followed by a piper playing Amazing Grace and Flowers of the Forest to two buglers finishing the ceremony with taps. Not to get off subject here, but I think it'd be worth sharing something very unique to all of you listeners out there about taps. I know where uh, taps got uh, started. There is a uh, historic plantation home uh, not far from where my wife and I live. It's in Charles City County um, on what is known as uh, Historic State Route 5. It is home to many well-known um, plantations that, um, that were uh, once in their heyday. Uh, there are still a couple of them that are open to the public for general tours, and then there are um, numerous other plantations on Route 5 that are now privately owned. How ironic that uh, one of my sisters um, had her wedding reception at a plantation in Charles City on Route 5 um, when she and her husband got married back in 2003. That uh, reception was at Evelynton Plantation. But this plantation that I'm going to mention to you all is uh, Berkeley Plantation. What's unique about Berkeley Plantation is that um, back at the start of the United States Civil War, the Union Army occupied the plantation, and it was while and it was while during their occupation of of uh, Berkeley Plantation that a fella within the Union Army, I believe his name was Daniel Butterfield. And if I am correct, Daniel Butterfield um, was the Union officer who um, came up with the song that we know as uh, Taps. So, um, for those of you who want to know where Taps got started, it got started in the state of Virginia at Berkeley Plantation, which just so happens to be the home to the first English Thanksgiving that took place in 1619. And I've been to a reenactment of the uh, first English Thanksgiving. My wife and I did seven years ago. And if any of you all ever want to do another one of the, attend the um, first thanks, English Thanksgiving reenactment, I strongly recommend doing it. You, it would be your, um, you would get your money's um, worth out of it. Uh, I don't know, though, if they'll be doing it um, this year because of all that's happened with uh, COVID-19, but... Um, but when you think of TAPS and its origins, think of Berkeley Plantation in the state of Virginia, and most notably that it's on historic State Route 5. Now back on track, uh, what ship or iron ore freighter would, would the Mackinac spot on its way back to Detroit? What do you know? It was the Arthur M. Anderson. The ship who was with the Edmund Fitzgerald on the night she went out of sight being November 10th of 1975. Was Captain Bernie Cooper alive to have seen uh, at this event? Sadly, uh, Bernie Cooper passed away uh, back in 1993. Uh, he lived to be in his late 70s. And he was convinced up until the day he died that the Fitzgerald probably had hit a shoal in the Six Fathom Shoal area and he knew as a result, he, he couldn't make the actual assumption, but he just, that was his theory behind it. And I do believe he was probably right that the Fitzgerald had 
had flattened out by hitting a shoal and as a result of taking too much water probably led to her sinking. But he did pass away in 1993 and uh, it's fair to say that he was probably smiling from above knowing that the Arthur Anderson herself was still looking after the 29 families who lost their loved ones nearly 25 years ago. Think about it, the Arthur Anderson was with the Fitzgerald the entire way, not just after she had um, perhaps taken on, hit, not, not so much after she had hit a shoal or was in trouble, she was with her from early morning up until the night she went out of, she vanished off of their uh, radar. It's a shame that Captain Bernie Cooper could not have been awarded a uh, Congressional Medal of Honor given just how valiant his crew had uh, gone above and beyond to help Captain Ernest McSorley and his uh, crew. But then again, that's to be expected of anybody on the Great Lakes waters. You do that kind of stuff. You don't burn bridges with other uh, ships because everybody looks after one another. Well, as the future would evolve, and I can say this too, now that the ship, it's been 45 years since the Fitzgerald sank, but as the future would evolve, so too did the level of interest in the Fitzgerald story. There are still many people out there very interested in this story, and I think it's great. I think it's great that it has that same level of interest as uh, the sinking of the Titanic did, and perhaps the Lusitania. The Fitzgerald may not have been on the White Star Line, like the Titanic was, or the Lusitania's being on the Cunard Line. The Fitzgerald was uh, the pride of the, um, yes, she was the pride of the American side, but she was the pride to Ogle Bay Norton, and she was uh, the pride um, to the hearts of so many people who watched her sail up and down the Great Lakes. She truly did deserve the role of being the Titanic of the Great Lakes, she deserved the role of being the mighty Fitz to the Toledo Express. Everywhere she went, people looked up to her as a very, very proud symbol. I'm sorry I never got to, I never got to have the chance to have seen the Fitzgerald, but I've seen pictures of her, and by seeing pictures of the Fitzgerald going by along the waters of Lake Superior or any other great lake, I could say that even I have got a connection with the ship. And as for Gordon Lightfoot, if it hadn't been for him, I'm not sure who would have written a song about the ship. After all, it was Gordon Lightfoot that really helped keep the ship's memory alive. And yes, um, I, I do believe it's safe to say that even though in his, his most famous verse in his song, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? All of us ought to remember that, that God was with the Fitzgerald even after she sank. But God was also trying to do everything he could to not only keep the men alive and to ensure that they could wither out the storm, but God is looking after those 29 men. After all, I think he, God himself is very glad to know that nobody else has gone down to disturb the wreckage site. So I think it's safe to say that God might be, shout, might be uh, shadowing over the wreckage site. We just don't know it, but he is. I like the fact that, uh, that 
nobody else has uh, made an attempt to go down in the past 25 years since, um, what's his face, good old um, Captain, not Captain, what's his face, uh, Tom Farnquist's um, arch rival nemesis, Frederick Shannon, um, who discovered that body um, and wanted to um, post it live um, so that somebody could have um, identified the remains. I'm glad that didn't go through. That would have been a huge, um, a huge um, painful reminder to any of those family members of what they lost. And I also like the fact that um, I like the fact that there are only a few artifacts that have been brought up. Well, I wouldn't say so much brought up. Um, one of the Fitzgerald's lifeboats is preserved in the museum, and most notably the Fitzgerald's bell. I like the fact that that people weren't ignorant enough to go down and uh, steal artifacts. In other words, they weren't grave robbers. And I like how everybody came together, even though there might have been opposition from Fred Shannon about the uh, Fitzgerald Bell, but I like how all 29 families came together and said that, hey, the bell does need to be brought up. And just so much it doesn't need to be brought up, it needs to honor the 29 men who were a part of something. I wish that... Um, in the years after Dr. Ballard and his crew first discovered the Titanic, I wish that those other expedition teams had consulted survivors of the Titanic and extended family members as to what they thought was appropriate, or should I say not appropriate, to have done, rather than just send submersibles down below to retrieve artifacts left and right. Think about it. It's one thing for a ship to have wrecked, it's another thing to just go and, and just become a grave robber. In other words, rob everything that's within the ship, no matter how far below the surface she, she lies. Think about it. Titanic is two and a half miles below the surface of the North Atlantic Ocean. And while, yes, several artifacts have been brought up, and yes, it might be great to tell a historic uh, piece of history to people, did those, uh, ex did, like I said a moment ago, did the people of those expeditions bother to consult with, the, with survivors? No. They were just more concerned about perhaps wanting to make a profit. That's not the case with the Fitzgerald. So yes, both ships may have been mighty. They both may have been unsinkable. But with the Fitzgerald... Lake Superior, yes, still keeps her secrets about the dead and the fact that she doesn't give up her dead, but at least man was smart enough in this case not to, um, not to take away the ship's integrity or let alone uh, dignity and respect. We're letting the men rest peacefully and whatever other objects or artifacts with the ship that are still down there are also resting peacefully with the men as well. Well, we have, um, we've, we've really, um, this was a very enjoyable um, podcast. I really enjoyed uh, sharing with you all about the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald. I strongly recommend if any of you all want to know more about the ship, I, there are plenty of other books out there written by authors 
various other authors um, about this Fitzgerald, not just in her prime, but her sinking. If you're interested in reading Michael Schumacher's The Mighty Fitz, um, I strongly recommend doing so. Um, YouTube has plenty of good documentaries on the Fitzgerald sinking. There's even a documentary that has the actual um, recording, uh, the final recording between Captain Bernie Cooper and, and uh, Captain Ernest McSorley. And there are also documentaries in the years after her sinking, uh, especially from five years ago, honoring it was the 40th anniversary of, of the Fitzgerald sinking. There was even a documentary I saw a while back um, where uh, a couple of men were interviewed in Toledo, Ohio, uh, who saw the Fitzgerald come in on many of occasions into Toledo's port. Um, and I could see how the people in Toledo, Ohio, were deeply impacted when the Fitzgerald sank because every time she came through Toledo, it was such a big deal. And that's why the Toledo Express, was she was given that name, the Toledo Express. So the bottom line is shipwrecks themselves have stories to tell, but, but even shipwrecks alone um, don't, um, well, yes, they have stories to tell, but the ships themselves have stories to tell even before they meet their um, unfortunate fate. But who knows uh, just how long the, the Fitzgerald would have lasted out on the uh, waters of Lake Superior had she not gone down in 1975. I still would like to believe that she probably would have had five to ten more years left in her. We'll never know, but what we will know is that she did leave a good legacy, given that she made over 400 trips around the Great Lakes. We do know that she set numerous records. Did some of those records come at a price? Well, maybe so by placing so much cargo that could, over 26,000 tons, that, yes, could have had um, effects on, the, on her hull. But at the same time, just know that the men who guided her, most notably Captains Peter Pulser and Ernest McSorley, did love not only what they did, for all the years they were out on the waters, but they loved the ship. They looked after her. Yes, some people may have questioned McSorley after the, the Fitzgerald sank, but the bottom line is, is that the men who, the men who captained her, four captains that is, they all went above and beyond to um, make sure that the Fitzgerald was the ship of all man's dreams. In other words, it was the ship of every man's dreams to be on. It was the premier ship. Well, folks, I look forward to um, coming back on the air again here soon. And just to let you all know, when I do come back on the air, it's going to be a new season. And I look forward to telling you all where our time machine will be taking us. Because, as you all know... With my podcasts, we have bounced around from uh, various eras in history. We have started out in the colonial era. We went to the beginning of the 19th century with the War of 1812. We now just finished being in the 20th century. So who knows where the time machine is going to take us next. But I will tell you this. You all uh, will definitely um, 
I will make sure to keep you all um, riveted. In other words, I'm going to make sure that you all, the audience, will stay riveted, excited, ready to know more information. So therefore, I'll see to it that you all don't miss out on anything. If, you, if, I, if, if the opposite happens, you all will have every right to question. But you know what? I, I'll make sure to it that, that it doesn't happen. Why? Because I like history, too. Even though I may know a lot, I'm still learning something new all the time. And three, my podcasts are all about uh, telling the story. Telling stories that, while yes, we may know certain things, about something, but at the same time, we're going to know, we're going to learn things that we didn't know beforehand. And this way we come out better than we did before. Thank you and good evening to all of you and uh, have a great Labor Day holiday tomorrow. Good night and God bless.